Why are NASA exploring Bruno Mars? Answer me this, answer me this. How much cash can I get for this priceless Ming vase? Answer me this, F my life. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. As we warned you last week, listeners, we are off on holiday at the end of this podcast. That's right, we're away for a month, so uh, really savour every moment of this, like Charlie and his Wonka bar. Without further ado, let's tackle some questions. Here's one from Chris from Kettering, who says, Not too long ago, I acquired a fake but very realistic Rolex watch. Is he trying to sell it to us? Is this one of those spam emails? <laughs> <laughs> Is he offering us a diploma as well? See Dakota Fanning naked. I don't want to. She's still a child. Uh, unfortunately, says Chris, the dial to change the time has jammed. Oh, not what you'd expect from a quality fake watch, is it? No. I would like to get it fixed, but I'm almost certain that if I go to a watch shop, they'll realise it's a fraud and expel me from the shop. Because <gasps> that's what they do rather than taking the watch fixing job, which are only getting rarer these days as more people are using yeah. mobile phones to tell the time. Yeah, yeah that's right, because the guy in Timpsons is really going to give a shit, Chris. <laughs> My God, this is not a real Rolex! Alan, call the police! He's going to be talking to you very calmly and then just reach under the desk and hit the panic button and that'll be it. Chokey for five years. It's not like you're going into the Rolex shop saying, fix this, my good man! (laughs) Ollie, answer me this. Shall I bite the bullet and try to get it fixed or just add three hours and 42 minutes to the time whenever I look at my time-telling device? It's absolutely fine. It's not illegal to bring a fake watch to a jeweller. That's not a crime. And if you are really worried, you can concoct, for your own happiness, some complicated backstory where you thought your granddad really had given you a real Rolex for your birthday. <laughs> People generally don't care, apart from the, uh, the the trademark owner, the person whose copyright is being infringed. Mm. And so when you see these news stories, like, you know, when the police seize a whole load of illegal watches in Felixstowe or whatever. And they issue a statement saying, we have prevented the unsuspecting public from buying these fraudulent watches. And you're thinking, you have not prevented anyone because everyone knows that if you buy a watch for a tenner in Chapel Market and it says <laughs> Ferrari on it, it's probably not made by Ferrari. You're not thinking, what a great deal I've got on this. They're selling this for 500 quid in Barclay Square. A Louis Vuitton bag for a tenner. This market stall holder is a real fool. <laughs> or Ralph Lauren when the logo's too big. Why do they always do that? Why do they always... Fake Ralph Lauren stuff, it's always got a massive horse-playing polo guy like that's like two inches too tall. Maybe, and everyone knows the logo's a tiny little insignia on the real thing. Maybe the people making the fakes have only got Google Images to go on. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question from Matt from Yorkshire who says, I just watched an interview with Brian Adams yes. in which he claimed the song Summer of 69 doesn't actually refer to a splendid summer in the year of 1969, but instead refers to the sexual position of the same name. Wow. He would have only been nine years old in the summer of 69 as he was born in November of 1959. Oh, no, you're ruining everything for me now. And not many nine-year-olds go on to pen tales of their epic adventures. So Ollie, answer me this. Were you aware of the hidden filth in this pop rock ditty? No. Most pop rock ditties, though, have hidden filth, and it's just best not to go looking for it a lot of the time because it spoils your enjoyment, and it means you can't listen to the song when it comes on the radio when you're in the same room as your grandmother. Yeah, well, we're in a different generation now, aren't we? When Flo Rider can have a top five song that is basically just put your cock in my mouth, that is, you know... Not yeah. discreet. Yeah. Um, Blue and all rise. <laughs> yeah, well, no, all rise seems like a golden age of uh, subtlety now. Yeah. Um, 
But no, that had genuinely never, ever occurred to me. I thought it was genuinely an innocent song about the glory days of 1969 where where his school friends all got together and and formed a a band. Yeah, they did stuff in the Five and Dime store that I'm sure wasn't very sexual. Also, I assumed that um, it was sort of a methodological choice to go for Summer of 69. Like maybe him going for the Summer of 76 just had the wrong connotations. Yes, Mm. I would say it's almost more akin to a kind of Barry Levinson era 1950s America that he's painting there rather than 1960 like actually it sounds like what I've seen in films is kind of 1962 yeah there was a lot of social unrest in summer of 69 well, by 69 it was all kind of free love and all that had happened and things were changing women's rights that's what people talk about is Brian Adams not talking about women's rights well <laughs> and uh, like all the demonstrations at Berkeley and stuff I suppose what I'm saying, I know people had small suburban town childhoods in 1969 but he's it, from it Canada like, isn't he yeah he is from Canada but I, again I don't think it's really set in Canada that song uh, it is like Helen says, a slightly mythological. It seems to me like a small town suburban 1950s America that he's actually singing about. Yeah, like in My Girl or something. Exactly. Yeah. Where, where obviously Macaulay Culkin and Anna Chomsky are always chomping on each other's bits. <laughs> Brian Adams has much more peculiar lyrics than this. The other day, Brain Radio supplied me with "There will never be another tonight." Would it was you, minor hits. Yeah. Well, you basically introduced me to this, and I, in return, introduced you when we were trying to do some work and instead browsing Spotify to "It's Only Love," his duet with Tina Turner. That was quite good, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Whereas no, your one just sounded to me a lot like "Everything Louder Than Everything Else" by Meatloaf. But it does have the lyric, "You're going to ride your broom right into my room." Maybe he's fucking grot bags, Helen. It's <laughs> 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 perfectly reasonable. Now, whilst we're talking about strange lyrics. Um, uh, here's a question from Mark from St Neots who says here's a question about R Kelly's chart topping hit from 2003 Ignition it only took me nine years to come up with the question <laughs> uh, halfway through he says the lyrics are now it's like murder she wrote once I get you out them clothes <laughs> uh, that's my little rendition for you it was, it, yeah it was a good rendition yeah, thank you Helen answer me this in what way is this like murder she wrote uh, does <laughs> does R Kelly have an Angela Lansbury fantasy well if he does he's uh, got the same fantasy as Ollie Mann presumably uh, yeah, yeah mine was very specifically bed knobs and broomsticks here Angela Lansbury and I wanted her to dominate me as a child <laughs> it's very different it's to Murder, She Wrote I've got a Manchurian candidate era Angela Lansbury <laughs> I also I do quite like her as the teapot in Beauty and the Beast uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd stick my dick in her spout <laughs> or, or Mark continues uh, is R. Kelly planning on murdering the girl he's thinking about it um, that he's going toot toot with uh, and then giving himself away with one simple but crucial mistake should have planned the murder when Angela Lansbury was not in town uh, and could he have picked a programme with any less sex appeal yeah, mm. I think Diagnosis Murder has less. Yeah, I think so. Quincy. <laughs> Maybe R. Kelly means to convey that his uh, sexual experience will be like a cosy post-lunch mystery drama. No, I don't think so. I think what he's saying is uh, this magnificent fucking you're about to enjoy <laughs> my at my... Uh, at my penis. At my penis. Uh, <laughs> is going to be so smooth, it'll be a mystery how good I am. How I've really? achieved this incredible, potent enduring lovemaking Jesus that's a bleak he says it's like murder she wrote once I get you out them clothes he's saying it's like a mystery how I do it because I'm so proficient no but the mystery is presumably before you get them out the clothes the mystery is what's under the clothes Mm. I, I think my interpretation still stands. I think it's a generous, saying there's technique. I think it's a generous interpretation, Ollie. I feel like he could have conveyed that notion using a slightly more appropriate imagery. It's like when we went to a wedding and one of the readings was um, it was from one of the Gospels and it was like, 
there were ten virgins waiting for the husband to come and five of them had lamps well stocked with oil the other five didn't bring any spare oil so their lamps went out and when the husband came they didn't get to go into the bedroom with him (laughs) and the moral is always be ready for Jesus wow and I thought the lesson that you should always be ready for Jesus should probably be conveyed with something other than gangbangs <laughs> just a thought and after the lamps there was the lamp like party <laughs> <laughs> my favourite line of ignition whilst we're talking about it I think I know it. what it is is <laughs> it uh, we've got food everywhere as if the party was catered exactly but as really if... my shopping bag just broke all over <laughs> the floor <laughs> as if the very suggestion of an after show party for a performer of the calibre of uh, R. Kelly being catered is so outrageous it's just, it sounds really low middle class. It's the kind of thing that they would have in an Iceland advert, wouldn't they? When uh, when whoever's doing it now, one of the Nolans, passes yeah, around the yeah. volivons and they go, wow, you must have got in the Admirable Crichton and one of those other post caterers <laughs> to do this. And it's like, no, 12 for a pound yeah. in Iceland. Yeah, you're right, yeah. He's pointing out something that you would expect to see in a green room of yeah. an R&B chart-topping superstar. You've got so much Highland Spring, they must be six for five. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, of I course. I went to Costco before the show. You know, guess what, R. Kelly? You know, you're signed with Sony or whatever. There's someone whose job that is. I've got twiglets to my left, crisps to my right. There's so many spectators, it's as if the concert was ticketed. Yes, yes, that's what's happening. If you've got a question, email your question. To answer me Here's a question from Ellen who says Recently on my holiday to the Lake District I was thrilled, she says by the Pencil Museum. It's a thrilling place. I was then very excited. She continues to look out the window of our holiday home and see the Cars of the Stars Motor Museum right across the street. Well, you would be excited because it suggests that your holiday home has a very central location in Keswick. By the way, if you don't know what she's on about, listeners, answer me this podcast.com slash Britain. There's a series of five stupid videos we were actually paid to make there. <laughs> anyway, if you look at the film one, that is when we go to the Cars of the Stars Museum mm. and see the Cars of the Stars. Uh, anyway, she continues. Much Much to my disappointment, I discovered that the museum was closed. Aww. uh, And I would never see the Mr. T jigsaw (laughs) I was looking forward to. Yes, that's right, because they have the A-Team's van and they've got a photo of Mr. T in the driver's seat. And then when you get closer, you discover that it is an A3-sized jigsaw that has been glued together and propped up. I think they should make no apology for that if they've spent a lot of hard-earned money buying vehicles that were in Scooby-Doo and Herbie. It's reasonable that they can't also afford a waxwork. Or a poster. Would a poster be better than a jigsaw? I mean, the jigsaw's just kind of enjoyably nuts, isn't it? (laughs) It's true. Anyway, uh, so Helen, answer me this. What have you been looking forward to or been excited about that has disappointed you? Um, I got myself a bit too keyed up about the National Yo-Yo Museum in Chico, California. Oh, thank God you said that. I thought you were going to say our marriage. <laughs> she wasn't even excited about that for that to merit as a disappointment, <laughs> Martin. Fun. <laughs> uh, because Martin and I were on a road trip and this was one of our last stopping points and I was like, Yo-Yo Museum, Yo-Yo Museum, this is going to be brilliant. Yeah. And uh, it's not really a museum. It's a few racks of yo-yos in the back of a one-room department store in Chico, California. They've got quite a good selection. There's not 
much learning to do there though i think there should actually be some legislation some internationally unesco recognized legislation on the use of the word museum, museum. Mm. i think what's if you, a display yeah, what's a museum exactly if you've got a collection of marionettes from the 18th century and they're, they're back of a store where you're trying to sell toys that's great and it's a collection it mm. ain't a museum sorry inverse example though the nutcracker museum in leavenworth washington state that is both an amazing museum of nutcrackers and has amazing shop of nutcrackers beneath which is pretty much as good as the museum i mean it's extraordinary because how many nutcrackers does one man need well a man needs one the museum needs five thousand but the needs of a museum and a man are very different well if all of your disappointments are just tourist based that's not so bad either yeah yeah exactly adulthood not a disappointment yeah (laughs) i thought melancholy and infinite sadness was a disappointment uh, and, uh, I've been harbouring this disappointment for nearly twenty years. Yeah, that was that was a real letdown after Simon's dream. But but but, to be, but in recent in recent memory, mm. Prometheus. Oof, should have been brilliant. Yeah, but you see, I knew that was going to be pony. Well, I hope disappointment does not await our next questionnaire, Ollie from Cheshire, because he says a couple of years ago. I made a bet with my friend of £2,000 that I couldn't stay with my girlfriend for a year whilst holding on to my virginity. It's like a reverse American pie, isn't it? Yeah. Actually trying to withhold sex yeah. for the approval of his friends. And the £2,000. I suppose actually a real reverse American pie would be a slice of pie giving Jason Biggs a facial. But you know what I mean. I bet he and his wife will do that because they seem desperate for attention at yeah. the moment, don't they? Tell me about Knock it. Knock it off, guys. Anyway, Ollie says, I won the bet. Yay! Congratulations in a way, Virgin. Yeah. <laughs> and with the money, my girlfriend and I have rented a villa in Turkey with a private pool and tennis court. My beautiful girlfriend knew about this bet and wants to have our magical moment in the swimming pool. Nice. The problem is, I'm allergic to chlorine. Mm. <laughs> I would love to pop my cherry with her in the pool, but Ollie, answer me this. Do I do it in the pool and then live to have an itchy, spotty crotch for the next few days, which means no more sex? Or do I resist and do it somewhere else? I'd question whether the pool is a little adventurous for your first time out the blocks anyway, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. save that for... Once it needs spicing up. Yeah. I mean, it is complicated and it's harder to grip. You might drown. Uh, you probably won't drown, but you might. The temperature is likely to make you seem less well endowed as well. Even in, even in Turkey? And then there's the other issue of if you are planning on ejaculating in a swimming pool that other people are going to have to swim in, that's revolting. Mm. I don't think I could do that in all good conscience. He's going to ejaculate into a vagina that other people won't have to swim in, surely. (laughs) Good lord. What is the problem? Just just say to her, look, I'd love to, that sounds very romantic, but I'm allergic to chlorine, which is very unromantic. Uh, Let's do it in the bath if you're insisting upon a wet context for this to happen. Yeah. But then I, I, don't, because that can often remove the lady's natural moisture, which on your first time will be useful well, to you. Well, this is it. <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> I think it's better just to just to play it by the rule book first and then experiment. <laughs> Otherwise, Do it on a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> I worry you've put too much pressure on yourself, actually, with this whole scenario. Yes, planning your virginity loss no. for over a year, that's I mean, nuts. I mean, by all means, you know, discuss roughly the time that it might be right. But I mean, bloody hell, adding the pressure of a financial transaction, a booked holiday to Turkey mm. and chlorine allergy to, <laughs> yeah, to the pot of uh, complicated things that have to happen around that scenario what if you get there and you're just not in the mood exactly or you get there and it's your first time it could well not be very good yeah what if you can't get it up ollie don't go on the holiday ask your friend for another two grand just to avoid all the problems (laughs) that we're outlining or maybe there's some kind of antidote that you could smear all over your ball sack which would stop you getting chlorine infection there probably is isn't there there's probably an antidote well even maybe vaseline would be barrel protection enough but then maybe his girlfriend would be terrified if he turned up covered in vaseline (laughs) (laughs) she's like i'm not ready for this (laughs) why would your girlfriend even find the smell of chlorine a turn on well, that's the other thing. Mm. You're not really in a 
position to say whether it's a sexual fantasy you want to fulfill until you're there and you've seen every precise element of the fantasy in reality. Yeah. Because saying swimming pool is not the same as being in a pool that might have, for example, the corpses of dead ants littered around it or smell a bit odd. Children will have pissed in that pool before. (laughs) Exactly. We're ruining this for him. What's your favourite question from our first three years that's really made you go for? Tim Curry or Tim Rice. Disposing of dead mice. Dave from Smethwick on kosher law. If you like fact or body talk. Or just a soundtrack for your walk. We've got stuff to entertain you. Because for 79 pence each you can buy our first three years episodes. Or just the good ones, who could blame you? Go to answermethispodcast.com slash classic or iTunes. And if you don't, you'll get to visit in the night from our band of Hired goons, whack, whack, whack to what they say, if you value your knees. It's uh, always lovely, listeners, when you give us a call. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to give us one of your lovely calls, then uh, all you have to do is call this number. 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this. Let's see who's on the line today. Hello, it's Beth and Reese from Devon. We were watching The Matrix last night and then there's this bit where the main character kind of, his heart stops and then the girl kisses him and he comes back to life and stuff. And me and my brother said that the girl was kissing a corpse and my mum said that it wasn't a corpse. Helen and Ollie asked me this. When does a dead body become a corpse? Because I think it's just when they're dead. But my mum says it's when they start to smell and like go rocking green now i could see if you're watching the matrix how you might confuse keanu reeves for a corpse (laughs) uh, because his acting is not exactly engrossing Uh, but i don't recall this moment i'm afraid i've forgotten everything about the matrix ah but have you or are you living in a parallel world controlled by the machines? oh i hope so i'd I'd love to be controlled by the machines because then i can blame them for my career and not myself if if the machines could make me forget having seen the matrix sequels i'd definitely take that pill plus one um, there's, um, it's the scene towards the end of the film uh, there's been a very exciting chase across the city he gets to the room where the phone is the door opens and you just see a shot of a gun and it's Agent Smith, Agent Smith shoots him yeah. they walk away thinking he's dead uh, and then she tips up and, and kisses him fine so it's actually very complicated because in any case there's the issue about is he really a corpse because his brain's plugged in somewhere else well, actually, so I, think, it work? I think it's on the it's, it's his physical body that she interacts with on the on the submarine exactly yeah so it's kind of a parallel dimension getting involved already mm. complicating the issue well I suppose it's like uh, the prince in Snow White is he a necrophile giving this apparently <laughs> dead woman a kiss and knocking the poisoned apple out of her mouth? Yes. In any case, in general terms, when you're neither in a fairy tale nor snogging a dead Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Well, a corpse is a corpse, I think, when the body is dead, yeah. even before it started to putress. Yes, I think I think the moment the heart stops, it's no longer a living creature, well, therefore no, it's a corpse. No, because you your heart can stop for a certain amount of time, and so you're kind of technically dead, but then when you come back to life, I think that undoes the fact that you were technically dead, but you were suffering from cardiac arrest. <sighs> I suppose at that point in a hospital, they're not going to say, quick, bring the corpse over here, because it would be yes. insensitive. Yes, yes. <laughs> so much about tact, but, no, but, but nonetheless, if they don't come back to life, I think you'd still say that at that three-second pause after their heart stopped, they were oh. a corpse. So there's like a three-second rule, like when you drop food on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I think if they become a corpse in the long term, then yeah. they always were a corpse from the moment the yeah. heart stopped. So the definition is actually... Retrospective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, here's another question of death from Amy from York, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Whose grave is the most visited grave in the world. Uh, Mohammed. Good point. I mean, <laughs> it's part of the Mecca. So millions of people mm. do that. So that. Uh. But 
I think the spirit of this question is probably like, which celebrity is it? Is it Elvis Presley or is it Jim Morrison? And the answer to that is, is Elvis Presley because 400,000 people go through Graceland. But what about Lennon? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, but then there's Lennon, uh, which again, uh, it's harder to get figures for, I well, guess. Well, he doesn't even have a grave because he's out on a table. Yes, yeah. Presumably we can use the phrase final resting place to cover cremation, burial... Burial at sea. Burial at sea. Then, then Osama bin Laden's grave is the most visited because people <laughs> fly over the Atlantic. <laughs> Jim Morrison, I think, has actually benefited from the fact that he's in the same graveyard as Oscar Wilde. I think they've both oh. benefited from the fact they have a similar demographic seeking them out, mm. so it's two for one there. I understand that it's actually quite hard to find Jim Morrison's grave in the Pierre Lachaise cemetery. Yeah, well, there's this horrible thing of people actually uh, desecrating other people's graves in, in that graveyard in Paris by putting big arrows saying to Jim on it so that you could find Jim's grave in the graveyard. That's really crap. Yeah. It's horrible. I mean, why weren't these people perspicacious enough to have arrow-shaped headstones? For <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> but also, Selfish even in death. What if you're a hippie? It's just not the kind of thing you should be into, mm. is it? Making someone else's memorial a signpost. But then it does slightly depend on how long people are dead, doesn't it? Because, you know, yeah. you walk around a graveyard and you do feel a bit less bad about having a picnic on a tomb of someone who died in 1780 and it's covered in moss than the one which is freshly carved and has photographs on. It doesn't matter to me how that person died either. If it's been 300 years, I don't, care. Dead anyway. I don't care if it's a fire, if it's syphilis, if they're a child. Murder. I'm sitting on them and having my Big Mac. Whereas <laughs> oh. if it's in the... No, but I am. I am. You, we've all done it. Sometimes you're sitting astride, it's riding it like a stone horsey. <laughs> I would happily film a, a mock horror parody promo in there. <laughs> Whereas if it's a grave from the last hundred years and if it's got fresh flowers on it, then even if it's someone who died at the age of 90 um, and they killed themselves, I still <laughs> would feel like I was being insensitive. What about if they killed themselves in the hope of having you sit on them in death? Well, I, I think increasingly that will happen in time as well. <laughs> a lot of people will want that. There's a mass scout grave at Nunhead Cemetery. There's a bet. To two dozen uh, scouts who died in a boating accident. Bet they'd like to see the cheeks of Ollie Man as he eats a snack. Stop it. But they died in 1913. Right, yeah. And you look at their ages and you go, okay, well, most of them probably would have died in the First World War. That's true, that really isn't it? Puts it in well, okay, boating accident doesn't look quite so bad as, as years of attrition in the trenches. Yeah, I mean, you could look at the grave of someone in the First World War and said, oh, yeah, he probably would have died in the Second World War. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not really they the point. They would have died it? eventually. Where do you go to find all the answers that you are looking for? I will tell you the secret. Very good, very good. Where do you go to find the answer? Answer me this podcast.com. Where do you go to find the answer? Answer me this podcast.com. You will find your answer here. Answer me this podcast.com. You will find your answer here. Answer me this podcast.com. A question of rings now from Alice in Liverpool who says, Helen, answer me this. Why is the wedding ring worn on the left hand? I thought it might be because the majority of people are right-handed and it wouldn't get in their way on their left hand. It's a very practical consideration. But being left-handed was the sign of the devil, so it seems odd to seal the deal with this hand. So Helen, answer me this. Why do people wear their wedding rings on their left hands? Well, not all cultures do. Some of them choose the right hand. Oh, do they? Yeah, but it's because uh, it's a Roman tradition and uh, they thought that there was a vein leading from the ring finger directly to the heart. So it was the most romantic vein. I don't know how they knew this because they weren't allowed to dissect human bodies at the time. So it's just purely speculative. Wow. And there isn't one. Oh, apparently there are also some cultures in which uh, that finger of the left hand is a magic finger. 
Okay. I'm not sure I actually was aware of this, by the way, until we had this question. You're not interested in marriage, but it's still... No, it's not that. It's that I'm not interested in jewellery. It is mostly women. Sometimes it's men. But whenever someone shows me their ring and says, what do you think of my wedding ring? I always say, oh, wow, lovely. No interest, really. (laughs) Absolutely no interest. I don't either, and I'm a girl. Yeah, it's just like, it's fine, isn't it? But it's just, I don't know. Well, it's a bit like me showing you, like, the caps on my teeth or something. You would do that. I mean, it's fine. It's just a thing. Look at these. Oh, incredible. Cost me a grand, these beauties. Hi, I'm from London. Hello, Ollie. Answer me this. My friend is considering buying some Olympic memorabilia, and we were wondering which memorabilia item is most British. Is it a mug, a tea towel, or just a plain old T-shirt? I reckon the most British would be a tea cosy. Do you think they've done one of them in the shape of the velodrome or something? (laughs) Um, I went to the official store on the Olympic Park site, and... I couldn't honestly say that much of it seemed very British. Like, one of the most popular things you can buy are the pins, which is such an American thing. It's like something they've lifted out of Disney World. Even calling it a pin rather than a badge. Exactly. You know, the most valuable merchandise from the Olympics is the stuff that's now on their auction site. You can actually get... Like relay buttons and... Yeah, stuff that was actually used by sports people and is autographed. Bradley Wiggins' signed Olympic torch went for 13 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bearing in mind, no one had heard of him two weeks ago. That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) He has had a pretty busy fortnight, to be fair to him. The trouble, I think, with uh, collectible memorabilia now is that um, there's too much of it produced for it to be likely to be valuable 50 years hence. Yeah, well, the, I was noticing in the in the Olympic Park they had stuff that actually had written on it venue collection, which meant that it was only available at the venues. Because all the rest of it you can buy in Primark and TK Maxx and stuff. Weird. So you have to look for the stuff that's exclusive to the venues if you want it to be slightly more limited edition. Yeah. Well, in 50 years' time, people are going to be looking at those weird, like, Wenlock penis creatures and just going, what They're the fuck so did, weird, aren't what, they? What was Grandma thinking? You know, they, they really tried to make Wenlock and Mandeville, I believe they were called, mm. catch on. Like, posing with Usain Bolt and mm. Mo Farah. Like, that should have ensured sales, shouldn't it? But still, you're looking at thinking... Yeah, what, why is there an enlarged, gross grey penis standing behind Usain Bolt? Kids love it! With, like a big, with a big, like, kind of Illuminati eye sticking out of the balance. <laughs> but the idea with Wenlock and Mandeville was that kids were supposed to be excited by them as characters. I'm sorry to return to a rant from last year, but like the M&M characters, they're not characters, are they? They don't have any character traits. They're just weird-looking. Mm. What's Wenlock like? If you went for a drink with Wenlock, what would he be like? What would he say? Couldn't speak, because he's only got one eye and no other features. Why are they based on the Cyclops anyway? That's Greek. Well, then that's presumably because it's a reference to the ancient Greek origins of the Olympics, yeah. which actually maybe makes them a bit clever. But again, not, not of interest clever. to a three-year-old, is it? Uh, but needless to say, we should remind you that the ultimate London 2012 merchandise, although not really because it's not an official product, people, mm. uh, is the Answer Me This Sports Day album. Thank you to everyone who's bought it so far. It's M- an hour obliged. of us talking about sport and you'll enjoy it. You will enjoy it. Morley <laughs> Man is going to come after you. He's going to come and beat you to death with a Wenlock creature. Well, here's a question about a very different sort of game. It's from Gary from Sussex, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Is skill at Jenga indicative of being a sensitive lover? <laughs> Maybe, because I am terrible at Jenga. And you don't withdraw sensitively either, do you? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm terrible at it because I have a benign essential tremor in my hands. It's not fair. That's right. And actually, shaky fingers can be of use in the bedroom. (laughs) What for fingering a girl? That, yes, thank you, Martin. Yes, that's what I was going for. But uh, it's good that you clarified. Or wanking yourself off. <laughs> well, yeah, m- numerous uses. Or for fluffing up a squashed pillow. <laughs> <laughs> is there any logical connection? Is it just his personal experience? It's to do with from? precision and care, isn't it? Right. And it's, some, it's something you have to approach with caution, I suppose he's saying. Really? Yes. But what about, what about passion? No, caution is what women find attractive. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Gary from Sussex has been using Jenga as a substitute for sex during a dry period in his love life? 
No, I think what he seems to be suggesting is that he's good at Jenga and that people have told him that he's a sensitive lover. When he's making love to a pile of women, none of them fall down. (laughs) If you don't even know what a question is, then you're probably at the wrong place. Because religion's on Godcasts, dogs are on Dogcasts, fish are on Rodcasts, but we don't do fish. Because on this podcast, you answer me this. And now to conclude this podcast before our holiday, here's a question of holidays from Fiona, who says, Tonight I'm staying in a very bizarre B&B in Bristol. It has toads decorating everything throughout the main part of the house. (laughs) It's quite weird. She means ceramic toads, presumably, rather than toads armed with paint rollers. It's it's not clear. Every surface, including the ceiling, is green. My room is bright pink. And there is a clown on the duvet cover, which okay. is also in shades well, of pink. Well, I'm not in a position to criticise then, because as Helen has pointed out to me, and I had not realised before... Childhood home full of clowns. My entire house that I grew up in is apparently full of clowns. <laughs> you watch Stephen King's It for comfort, don't you? <laughs> well, Fiona says, the ensuite has a glitter toilet seat. I've got a glitter toilet seat. Oh, What's the problem with that? What are you saying? It's, it's, it's like uh, you're going to the toilet in Kanye West teeth. <laughs> this is, without a doubt, the creepiest B&B I've ever stayed in. At least it's got some character and it's not just in kind of magnolia shades, eh? Mm. Ollie, answer me this. What is the weirdest or creepiest place you've ever had the misfortune of staying in? I stayed in a convent in Kenya. That's quite cool, though. Yeah, yeah, but it really wasn't. Oh. Was it Was it an active convent? <laughs> yes. Oh. And we got there with the plan of camping in their sort of quad. Mm. But then all the nuns left their rooms and let us stay in their rooms. And so I felt really bad because we turfed nuns out of their rooms so that we could have them. And they weren't nice rooms. The knowledge that I turfed a nun out of her room for my discomfort right. made it a pretty weird experience. Nuns aren't supposed to be comfortable. They're supposed to be above all that. No, well, true. Well, maybe that's why they sacrifice themselves to our tents. Maybe they're like, brilliant, tourists, we can have a comfortable sleep tonight in a tent. Yeah. Uh, we stayed in a chocolate-themed B&B last mm-hmm. weekend in Bournemouth. They just decorated things in different shades of brown and gave you free chocolate. Right, so they, it that's wasn't great. like melted all over the duvet, because in the height well, of summer... by the end of the evening, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get free chocolate in your, on yeah, your pillow? Yeah, by each side of the bed there was a large chocolate house, and on the dressing table there was also a little pot full of chocolate houses. And the chocolate house was yours to eat? Yep, and then at reception there was a chocolate fountain, but chocolate fountains are disgusting, so uh, stay away from that. Here's a thought. Go on. Hotel Chocolat. Why have they not done that brand extension? It's in the bloody name. I think actually the weirdest places I've stayed in is when it's B&B owners who were like, we got into this to meet people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Like, why would you meet people that are leaving at breakfast? Yeah. I don't think what B&B owners don't quite appreciate is you don't book a holiday based on what interesting people you can meet that run hotels. Well, clearly that's why they go into the B&B business, isn't it? A lot of B&Bs have made me yearn for the sterile embrace of a chain motel. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of this series. But, oh. but don't cry. No, do cry. No, don't cry. No, do cry. No, don't cry. It's a big event, don't. Helen. Well, I mean, it's a big event in our lives because it means we get a month off. Yeah. But in your lives... tears of joy. <laughs> in, your, in your lives, you don't need to take that much time off us because you can peruse our albums, you can peruse our old episodes. Yeah, first 120 episodes. And all of that stuff is available on our website, answermethispodcast.com, where you can also find our contact details so you can send us a question. We will return on the 20th of September. Barring any unforeseen holiday disasters 
Or holiday amazement where we wanted to extend the holiday and never come back, like Shirley Valentine. <laughs> but there is another date for your diary, because on the 27th of August, we are hosting our own radio show on BBC Five Live. One till 4pm. That's right. Proper, like, primetime radio show. Yeah. When you're doing those bank holiday barbecues. Yeah. What better <laughs> yeah. than listening to this? It's going to be called Helen and Ollie's Required Listing, uh, and it's about podcasts and alternative radio, internet radio, stuff like that. If you want to hear more of Ollie as well, that's entirely possible if you are a nocturnal person in the London area or an internet-enabled area. <laughs> that's right. I'm going to be doing the overnight shows for a week on LBC 97.3. So from one till four in the morning. Oof, uh, yes. Perfect barbecue time. <laughs> if you're working a crematorium. Uh, <laughs> no. From the 19th to the 24th of August. Um, and Helen, you've got a thing you want to tell people about as oh, well. Oh, yes, yes, please. I've been put on a panel for the South by Southwest Festival. Put on a panel. You make I've it been... sound like something that a judge would decree. What is the correct verb? Invited, I would say. Isn't it impanelised? I've been... <laughs> I've been impanelised uh, for a South by Southwest panel uh, for next spring with the podcasters Jesse Thorne and Roman Mars. So the way this works is trendy sort of music and internet festival in Texas, but you can only get on it if people vote and say they want to hear you. Yes, that's right. But anyway, if you wouldn't mind uh, voting for us, it would mean I'd get to go to Texas. Okay, and you'll put the link to that on our website as well. Yes. And Martin, uh, what are you going to be up to during our break that people might enjoy? You can listen to my podcast. It's a monthly podcast called The Sound of the Ladies, where uh, there's a new song every month. Go and download that. I've got a new album coming out shortly, but it's not quite ready. But there'll be some lovely music in the interim. Oh, well, go and get yourselves all tingling with anticipation for Martin's album whenever he can be asked to release it. So, listeners, we'll be back before you know it on 20th of September. And in the meantime, we hope you can port yourselves sensibly and enjoyably. Bye!